We're going to turn to Mark chapter 12 and verse 28. Mark chapter 12 and verse 28. We continue tonight our series. We've been talking about loving our neighbor. And I guess you could call this love, love thy neighbor part three. And I'm not sure that there's not going to be a part four. Because I'm not sure if we're going to get through all of this tonight. But Mark chapter 12. There's a cutest hat on that little boy. <laughs> Mark chapter 12 and verse 28. And one of the scribes came. And having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all. And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. <laughs> there we go. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. God expects from us love from the totality of our being. Every piece that I am, every part that I am. It is challenging to me, and we talked about this a little bit last night in Life Group. Uh, it, is, it is challenging to me to think that I can't even fully fulfill the greatest commandment without help from the object of that commandment. I, it, it, it's humbling, but I pray on a regular basis, God, help me to love you like you deserve to be loved. Because of my sinful humanity, I, there, are, there are always going to be pockets that I have to dig up, I have to eradicate. It might be somewhere in my heart, it might be somewhere in my soul, it might be a place in my mind, or it might be a piece of my strength. I will continually have to investigate, dig up, and eradicate areas of my life that do not fall in line with that commandment. I have to strive to love God with everything that I am. What makes it a lot easier is that he is infinitely lovable. He is easy to love. Now, the second commandment, on the other hand, <laughs> the second commandment is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And it just got a lot harder right there, didn't it? God is a lot easier to love than I am. That's how I know my wife's a saint. Because she loves me. She tells me every once in a while. We've got to work on timing there. We've got to work on timing. It's a lot harder to love our neighbor. Now, most of us don't have a problem loving ourselves. Sometimes we love ourselves a little too much. Uh, but these are the two greatest commandments. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. We read this last week, but I want to read this again. Hereby perceive we the love of God, or this is how we can comprehend, we can see, we can sense the love of God because he laid down his life for us. 
Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says that God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loved you so much that without ever having a promise of you reciprocating that love, he gave his life for you. You know, as you're launching into a relationship, um, and many in this room have been married for quite a while, and if you're not married, then listen up, uh, you're going to reach a threshold in that relationship where you're, you want to tell the person how you feel, but you're scared to voice it out of concern that it's not shared. What if I put myself out there and say, I love you, and the other person was just enjoying all those trips to Olive Garden? How awkward would that be? I mean, can you imagine? Has that ever happened? Don't, don't, actually, you know what? Don't raise your hand. God forbid that's ever happened to somebody where you, you are falling head over heels for this person, and you voice it to them only to find out I don't feel the same way about you. Ouch. That's the risk that God took on each and every one of us. Because as crazy and as passionate as he is about you, he said, you know what? I don't know if Joe is ever going to love me, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to a cross. I'm going to bear his sin on the cross. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to pour myself out. And maybe, just maybe, Joe will say, I love you too, Jesus. That's how we perceive the love of God for us. He laid down his life for us. Is anybody thankful that God would take the first step and say, I love you, you filthy, rotten, scumbag sinner. I'm still going to go to the cross for you because I'm going to pull you to myself and clean you up. And so we ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. Or to like degree, and so, because God did that, and so, we ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. That means it should be a small thing among us to put ourselves out there for somebody in the body and for our neighbor, never waiting for them to love us in return. When I do that, I'm mirroring the love of Jesus Christ for myself. I'm loving my neighbor as myself. I'm reaching out to them. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion. Everybody say, bowels of compassion. How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word neither in tongue, though love should flow from our tongue. All right, but not he's saying not only in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth. All right? My actions should be shouting that I love you. Not just my words. Talk is easy. Work, work is more difficult. Your homework assignment last week was to find somebody and tell them you loved them without having to say it. And I hope that you all took that challenge and did it and demonstrated love to somebody. 
But he goes on and says this in verse 19, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. If you want to have confidence in your calling, if you want to have confidence of your right standing with God, then love your brother out of your bowels of compassion in deed and in truth. Amen. All right, so tonight we're going to talk about loving thy neighbor, conflict edition. Anybody love conflict? You just love knowing that you've got a problem brewing somewhere in an interpersonal relationship. If you do, you're doing a great job keeping your hand down right now. We would pray for you in this moment. We, we, we don't like conflict. We, sh- we shouldn't like conflict. Most of us do not desire confrontation. Many of us can't handle knowing that there's somebody that doesn't like us. Does that keep anybody up at night? It used to keep me up at night. I would say that the Lord has helped me beyond that uh, because, uh, well, <laughs> there are some people that just aren't going to like you. But most of us are bothered when, when we have this understanding, so-and-so does not like me. Now, your brother, your sister, fellow believers in the church, They are not perfect. And this might be either an easy realization or a hard realization. There are some that think everybody in the church is perfect except for them. There are some that think nobody in the church is perfect except for them. Both are completely wrong. Uh, The other side of that coin is that you, in fact are not perfect. And again, if this is a hard realization for you, I want to let you down easy. Okay? Go ahead and look your neighbor in the eye and tell him you are not perfect. (laughs) Husbands and wives are glaring at each other right now. Shocked looks on faces. When you come to the realization that you're not perfect and that nobody else is either, it's almost as if a weight lifts off of your shoulders. The only one who's ever been perfect was Jesus Christ. Now I'm reaching for him. I'm not excusing sin or or blatant flaw in my life, but boy, does it take the pressure off. I want you to understand that I am not perfect, all right? If I haven't made you mad yet, just buckle up. The day is going to come where you get mad at me, and I'll apologize uh, if, if I'm in the wrong, 
uh, and I will, I will strive to reconcile with you because I, I want to walk in harmony and in unison with you, but I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. The only one that's ever been perfect is Jesus Christ, and so we're each reaching for Jesus. We want to be like Jesus, and in this journey of life, if we could learn to keep our eyes on perfection and walk together toward Jesus Christ, it should sure would shrink the deficit of my brother if my eyes are focused on Jesus Christ. It sure would make it a lot easier to deal with my own flaws and faults if my eyes weren't focused on me all the time and instead were focused on the one who is perfect, who calls me and empowers me to be like him. But every once in a while, our eyes come off of Jesus Christ and they get on our brother or our sister. I don't want the sister in to feel left out. Or every once in a while, your brother makes it almost impossible for your eyes to remain on Jesus Christ. And he does something so boneheaded that all of a the sudden there is conflict between you. Anybody ever have a brother do something boneheaded? I got, I got one honest person here. Everybody else is like, that, that can't, I can't say that. That ain't right. Let's be honest in the house tonight. Has somebody in the church done something foolish to you? Okay. All right. Have you ever done something foolish to somebody in the house of God and in the family of God? Okay. See, we ain't perfect. So, conflict comes. If you're looking for a perfect church, you're never going to find it. This is a good church, but it's not perfect because you go here and you're not perfect. So, if you want a perfect church, go try the one down the road, and we might get one step closer to perfect when you leave. Or when I leave, okay? All right. See, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Any of us being here eliminates us from perfect church. So, there's a term out there called church hurt. Usually it's not church hurt. It's people hurt. And far too often it's not actually hurt. It's just unresolved conflict that was allowed to fester and to grow and to take root in a life. And if we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves, we've got to learn how to deal with conflict. We've got to learn how to deal with issues inside the body. The spleen has to talk to the intestines. The hand has to talk to the foot. Communication has to occur. Now, far too often, the method has been run to spiritual leadership and complain to them about the other person. And far too often, there have been those in spiritual leadership that are entirely happy to maintain that level of conflict resolution because it keeps them in a job 
and it makes them feel needed. But a side effect of that will be that the church is never really going to grow beyond the capacity of one man to manage the conflict of the 50 interrelated people inside of the church. I believe that there is a healthier biblical way for conflict to be resolved. And most of it, I realize that this this might be groundbreaking or uh, might be stunning, but most of it never even has to rise to the level of coming to my attention to be involved in it. All right, Luke chapter 17 and verse 1. I got to tell it, so I'm going to tell it. Here we go. Luke chapter 17 and verse 1, then said he, Jesus, unto the disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. All right, go ahead. Again, this is an interactive Bible study. Go ahead and look at your neighbor and say, at some point, I'm going to offend you. Tell him your breath is offensive. It is impossible that or but that offenses will come. Jesus is saying, look, it's a 100% chance that an offense is going to come into your life, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little, little ones. Okay. Let's deal with that word offense, because we're going to shift slightly to a different word in the next verse. So we got to talk about offense. That word offense is is from the Greek word scandalon, uh, which, as you probably figured out in that moment, is where we get the word scandal, okay? That word offense is a snare, a temptation, a stumbling block, or an occasion to fall, If you become the stumbling block, the snare, the temptation to sin, or the occasion to fall for somebody, Jesus is saying, look, it would be better for you to have a millstone around your neck and be chucked into the sea than to offend one of these disciples. Now, that's a sobering portion of Scripture, especially when we consider the fact that each of us has done silly, boneheaded things in our walk with God, and we need the grace of God and the grace of our brother to keep walking forward. So Jesus says this. Watch. Take heed to yourself. He doesn't say, everybody get your eyes off of me and stare at your brother and inspect them carefully. He says, look at yourself. The first place that you need to look when offense begins to arise is not to everybody else. Take your eyes off of everybody else and look at yourself through the lens of Scripture and take heed to self and begin to examine in prayer and in the reading of the Scripture, okay, have I done something in my life that is being an offense to this person? He says then, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. Did it say run to the pastor, tell the pastor what happened, put it in his hands, 
And have him report back to you once he's eradicated the evil doing in this other person? No, it said, examine yourself. If your brother trespasses against you, you rebuke him. And then if he repents, forgive him. If he says, oh my goodness, I didn't even know, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? You say yes. Boom, done, over, conflict, resolved. See how easy that was? Except it's not easy, is it? Because everybody in here just swallowed hard and you got a lump rising up in your throat. Why? Because, because we have to grow in the area of loving our neighbor as ourselves. If I can trust you that you love me as you love yourself, I know that if it rose to the point where you brought it to my attention and said, I can't get over this, that means in love you're approaching me and saying, hey, we got to work on this together. And if we can work on this together, our relationship can be reconciled and restored. If we want to walk in unity, we're going to have to learn how to raise the offense with our brother and our sister. Now, before everybody just turns in this moment, starts pointing the long finger and rebuking everybody, we're going to talk about that word, okay? I promise you, there are, there are very much guardrails on the word rebuke. I see people rubbing their hands together right now. There are guardrails on the word rebuke, okay? And if he trespasses against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee and say, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Look, it does not matter how many times Sister Tori offends me. If she repents of it, I turn to her and I say, I forgive you and vice versa, and that's probably more likely. She's going to have to forgive me so many times. And the apostles in verse 5 hear Jesus say this, and they say, Lord, increase our faith. My God, help us. Help us, Jesus. And that's a great place for us to be because we realize our inadequacy and our inability to handle this within our human power. You cannot do this by yourself. But the beauty of it is, is that you are not by yourself. You've got Jesus Christ living inside of you. The same spirit that lives in you lives in your brother. And offense will sever that flow and connection between you. But as you come together and resolve offense, that same spirit that dwells in me and you is going to be knit together. And we can be reunited in unconditional love one for another. Luke chapter 17 and verse 3 and 4. I want to read them again from the Amplified Version. It says, pay attention and always be on your guard, looking out one for another. If your brother sins, and by the way, that, that, that's the word trespass in the King James, and it means misses the mark, okay? If he misses the mark, listen to how this, this defines rebuke. Solemnly tell him so and reprove him. And if he repents or feels sorry for having sinned, forgive him. And even if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times and says, I repent or I'm sorry, you must forgive him. And then it defines forgiveness. It means to give up resentment and consider the offense as recalled and annulled. 
That means when you've forgiven somebody, you don't bring it up again. Husbands, wives, if, if you go through an argument and then you repent and you forgive one another, the next time he leaves his dirty chonies outside of the hamper, you don't bring it up again and say, well, you always leave your dirty clothes outside of the hamper. Well, now, it, just got, it got tight in here. All right. So let's look at two classic portions of Scripture. We've bumped into them the last couple of weeks, but we need to deal with them now. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives us a prescription on life in the body, how to deal with illness and offense in the body. So he says, therefore, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Ought is a very broad term. And it, it means anything. It's interesting how God reverses the order of operation. The first commandment is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. But when it comes to communion, God says restore communion and fellowship with your neighbor before you're going to have communion and fellowship with me. For us to neglect commandment number two means that we cannot fulfill commandment number one. And so Jesus says, why don't you back up, you go deal with whatever you have done against your brother and then come back. Leave your gift at the altar. Just leave it. Go. Be reconciled. Reconciliation means that there is forgiveness and there is, again, a restored communion. What's been wrong has been repented of, forgiven, and right has been made. Restitution has been made. Restoration of communion has occurred, and now I am reconciled to my brother. And then go back to the altar. So when I'm about to worship the Lord and I recognize that my brother has something against me or it comes to my mind that he has something against me, whose responsibility is it to seek reconciliation? Mine. I was waiting for somebody to answer. It wasn't a rhetorical question. It's mine. Okay. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus deals with it from the other perspective. He says, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between... All right, everybody ready? You got your notepad and your pencil out? Go tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Underline those words, circle them, highlight them, put stars, asterisks. If you could rig up like a little pop-up thing in your Bible where it pops up every time you open that page, do that. Make that. Between you and them alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Again, all of the sudden, my brother has now offended me. Whose responsibility is it for, to seek reconciliation? 
Huh. Isn't that interesting? So whether I'm the offender or the offendee, whose responsibility is it to go and seek reconciliation? Mine. Now here's the beauty of it. If you're in the body and each of us is in pursuit of Jesus Christ, it's quite possible because we're all praying at all times with all prayer and supplication, like the scripture says we should be doing, and we're all walking in the spirit. If we're not, this is gonna be real hard and there's gonna be a lot of fireworks and a lot of mess. But if you'll walk in the spirit, boy, will there be a flow And all of a sudden, I'll be going to prayer one afternoon, and as I'm kneeling down to prayer, I realize, you know, I said something to Nate that wasn't quite right. And Nate is at work, but he's been in prayer all day long, you know, in between patients, under his breath, and patients are like, what was that? Nothing, I'm just praying, don't worry about it, as he's drilling teeth. And he's he's just bothered by the thing that I said to him. And he decides, you know what, my work day's over, I'm going to go deal with my brother about this. i got to make this right between him. And so here I am looking for him, and there he is looking for me. And what happens when both of us decide, I'm not just going to store this inside. I'm going to go to my brother. What happens? We find each other somewhere in the middle. And instead of meeting all the way over here on my side or meeting all the way over there on his side, he and I, go ahead and stand up, he and I find each other somewhere in the middle. And you want to know what we'll probably end up doing? You see, if we could just be humble enough and spirit-led enough to realize just every once in a while, huh, I was wrong. i got to go find my brother. And if we could be humble enough and spirit-led enough to say, you know what, I just, I can't let this go. I got to go find my brother. There'd be a whole lot more meetups along the way. And instead of coming to the office and being all fed up about something that happened six months ago, you've already dealt with it the day of or the night of or the day after, and it's buried, it's done, and the seed never had time to germinate and grow. If we'll deal with offenses and trespasses at the source and at the time that they occur... It's going to be a lot easier to love your neighbor as yourself. But sometimes you go to your brother, and Nate comes to me, and he says, you know, you really wronged me. And I said, get out of here, you lying dog. And the Bible has a prescription about that because the Bible has advice for every situation in life. What does it say in the next verse? But if he will not hear thee, now this is the part that everybody wants to jump to. Go and take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Now do me a favor. We talked about gossips two weeks weeks ago. Don't find the gossip to help you resolve conflict. Now, They're going to get a whiff of it because it's the spirit that's flowing through them and they can sense the conflict. They're like moths to the flame. They can sense when conflict and trouble is going on. And that gossip, they're going to be on you like ants on a picnic. Oh, man, I bet they really rubbed you the wrong way, didn't they? They did. Tell me all about it. You run away from that person 
and you find somebody spiritual. Why? Because Galatians 6 and 1 says, ye which are spiritual, restore such in one. So when it comes time to find a witness to go talk to somebody that's offended you, you find somebody that is spiritual and that can judge between you and your brother to say, look, you two need to reconcile. All right. And then he says, look, if he neglect to hear the two or three witnesses, then tell it to the church. Would you notice, this is crazy, but notice this. Facebook, Instagram, your iPhone has not appeared once in any of these verses. It's almost as if God wants the body to deal with conflict inside the body without Mark Zuckerberg being involved. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Now that might sound pretty intense to you. But if somebody is going to hold on to a seed of offense in their heart and not allow it to be reconciled, they are creating an impediment to the flow of the spirit in the body. And God is not willing for that to remain in the body. And he says, get it out of the body. Now, reconciliations, other scriptures tell us, not this particular portion of, of scripture, but other scriptures tell us that there's a prescription for reconciliation of that man. He can come, he can repent, the wrong can be reconciled, and he can be restored to fellowship with the body. That is the goal. All right? Okay. Offense in our day and age has so often come to mean I got my feelings hurt. But we don't like to say that my feelings got hurt, so we like to put a, a fancy 50-cent word on it and say I got We don't even like to say I got offended. Because <laughs> then that puts the onus back on us. Too many are looking for reasons to find fault. Even now in this moment, it's quite possibly that I'm offending somebody by straight scripture reading. If you don't remember or write down anything else, you can write this down. Easily offended saints are immature saints. Easily offended saints are immature saints. And they need to learn the biblical way to deal with conflict in their life. As babies... There's a far lower expectation. Sometimes we're just too ignorant to be offended. <laughs> but then there's like this bell curve. We start learning scripture and we're like, well, bless God, they did me wrong. And there's this ramping up of offense. But as we topple over and as we become more and more like Jesus Christ, we've, we've got to tip right over that bell curve and head back down. I mean, Jesus had people pull his beard out, spit in his face, beat him with a cat of nine tails until an inch of his life, call him all kinds of names, punch him in the face repeatedly and say, prophesy. You ever play uh, Stop Hitting Yourself with one of your siblings? <laughs> the whole Roman garrison has him blindfolded and they're playing a game of who's hitting you. They spit on him. I mean, he's got a bloody, bruised face, and now somebody's giant loogies running off of his chin. His back is ripped raw. 
They hang a placard over the cross that says, you know, this guy proclaims he's the king of the Jews. And he hangs between heaven and earth naked in front of his whole family. Now, if that's you or I, we might be pretty offended. (laughs) I don't know about you, but if you slap me in the face, it's going to take me a moment to let the Holy Ghost work through me and not be offended, okay? If you spit on my face, see, see the previous statement. But what does he pray from the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Look, your brother might not be crucifying you on a cross. They might not be whipping your back, but you ought to remember that statement and you ought to store that into one of your most prayed things. Anytime somebody comes against you, Father, forgive them. I'm not sure that they're thinking right. Father, forgive them. Maybe, the, maybe something's going on in their life. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Well, now. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12. It says, hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. That's Jesus on the cross. All hatred of hell and all of the wrath of God are being poured out on him at one time. That's what leads Jesus to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of us start calling that out if McDonald's gets our order wrong at lunch. Pickles? My God, my God. See, the easily offended are immature. All right? But love covers all sins. Proverbs 19 and 11 says this, it is the discretion of, or the discretion of a man deferreth his anger. Discretion means the intelligence, the prudence, or the wisdom of man defers his anger. It's the prudence of man that realizes, you know, I really could get bent out of shape about this, but I'm not going to. And look what it says. It is his glory to pass over a transgression. Just like Jesus has done for you thousands of times. He says, you know what? I love them. They're ignorant. They're growing. They're coming closer to me. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give them a little bit more grace. And I'm going to help them to come closer to me. See, in our pursuit of loving our neighbor as ourselves, we've got to master some of these verses and realize that it is actually to my glory to begin to pass over a transgression from my brother. All right, we need to keep moving. Oh, man, do we need to keep moving. This might be a two-parter. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7, switching again to the Amplified Bible, and we're going we're gonna to pick up the pace a little bit here. It says, but the end and culmination of all things has now come near. Keep sound-minded and self-restrained and alert, therefore, for the practice of prayer. Above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. By that it means forgives and disregards the offenses of others. 
What a challenging verse of Scripture. Have intense and unfailing love one for another. Look, we're, we're all growing in this thing. We're all striving to become more like Jesus Christ. But when's the last time that your love for the brethren felt intense in your heart? Ask God to make it intense. An intense love for the person sitting across the aisle from you or on the other end of the pew. Maybe they're singing off key. Maybe they've just, they're just absolutely nuts. But you have an intense love for them. Verse 9, this is just a bonus. Uh, it says, practice hospitality to one another, those of the household of the faith. Uh, brackets. Be hospitable, be a lover of strangers, with brotherly affection for the unknown guests, the foreigners, the poor, and all others who come your way who are of Christ's body. And in each instance, do it ungrudgingly, cordially, and graciously, without complaining, but as representing him. It's almost as if God wants us to be hospitable. All right. We doing okay still? Is everybody thinking of an offense that they got to go rebuke somebody for? <laughs> Just one. Okay. Okay, so let's go to 1 Timothy. I don't know that I, I added a portion of Scripture. I don't think I gave them. But in 1 Timothy, Paul is dealing with, he's, he's helping Timothy deal with conflict within the church. All right, that's why earlier in the, in the book, in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, let no man despise thy youth. Why does he say that? Because somebody was despising the youth of Timothy. And he tells them, look, be thou an example to the believers. Okay, so as we were rubbing our hands, getting ready to rebuke one another, let's, let's look at the, the proper way to approach your brother or sister. Because even less, as much as I'm not interested in all conflict in the church flowing through me, I'm also not interested in a bunch of cowboys with their six-shooters out all the time ready to blast away any offense, okay? So 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 1 says this, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men... As brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity. If you can't picture yourself saying it to your father, your brother, your mama, or your little baby sister, then you probably shouldn't say it to a brother or a sister in the church. We are to view one another, not just as people that pay tithes at the same building, but as fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, joint heirs together with Christ. That precludes me from just coming at you with my six-shooter out like, bless God, I've got all these rebukes stored up and ready to go. All right? Let's drop down to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 19. And we're going to switch to the Amplified again. It says, Listen to no accusation presented before a judge against an elder unless it is confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. 
Somebody that has invested their life in this thing, there's a higher bar of accusation against them. You ought not be flying off the handle at somebody that is, it, it, just a verse or two before it says, uh, give double honor to the elders. You need to have two or three witnesses as you come to them. As for those, he says in verse 20, who are guilty and persist in sin, rebuke and admonish them in the presence of all so that the rest may be warned and stand in wholesome awe and fear. Okay, so let's talk about that word rebuke. The word rebuke in the Greek, it carries within its meaning, or perhaps a better way to translate it would be the word convict. Picture it, it's, it you just read judge in the, in the verse before. That's, that's exactly what's going on, okay? Somebody has done wrong. I've either been offended by it or I've been witness to it. And I've, I've prayed about it. Don't go to your brother if you have not prayed, please. Ask God to let the Spirit flow through you. Ask God to let his love cover the sin. You might not even have to have this conversation. If you can cover it with love and say, you know what, God forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. I'm not going to be offended by that. But it, it says convict them. That conviction is as in a court of law. That is to convince them of their wrongdoing. Now, what's the law that you and I operate by? We only have one source of law. Right here. The offense and the conviction of the offense has to be based on Scripture. If, if, if just my feelings getting hurt by somebody speaking the truth, that's not a valid offense. That's a mark on me that I need to go pray and bring that to the cross and nail it to the cross. Now, maybe they were a little bit coarse in saying it, and, and you can deal with them about that, all right? But when I convict somebody of their wrong and of their behavior, I have to point back to this. So you can't come with your six-shooter and be like, you're a meanie pants. you got to come with your six-shooter of Scripture and be ready to say, look, uh, this is where we went wrong scripturally, and I desire to be reconciled to you. Do you see the difference there? Now, which one, when your brother hears that coming out of your mouth, which one do you think they're going to be more ready to hear? Scripture. That's why Proverbs 15 and 1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The problem is we haven't gone to the Lord. We haven't crucified our own pride. And instead of coming humbly and meekly to our brother and saying, look, there's just something in Scripture that you've transgressed against me and we've got to restore this. We come with our dander up and we come all offended, hot and bothered, and we say, hey, you're being a jerk, you're being mean. What are they supposed to do? Well, they're supposed to turn the other cheek. But... You, you try that the first time somebody comes at you and they're like, hey, pastor told me I can come and rebuke you. So it's got to be on the basis of the word of God. If I'm going to try to convict somebody, it's got to be by the word of God. 
And he says, I solemnly charge you, verse 21, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of all the chosen angels that you guard and keep these rules without personal prejudice or favor, doing nothing from partiality. Mm. Okay, let's keep trucking. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. Follow peace with all men. And holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. We preach that verse about holiness all the time. But holiness is just a restatement of peace with all men. Because if I'm not in pursuit of peace, especially with those in the body, it is impossible for me to be holy. Well now. Looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, Unless any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. The problem with offense is that it is a seed, and it will grow if undealt with. The problem with it growing is that it grows into a root of bitterness, and it will defile many. All right. How do I know... Or how will I know if I need to address this with my brother? You know, I've prayed about that question a lot. I've even called a couple of brothers and talked to them about this. Your first step is always, always, always prayer. If you come to me, Or, let me just help you, if somebody comes to you and wants to tell you about an offense from a brother, your first question to them should be, how many hours have you prayed about this? Because sometimes people like to weasel out. Say, well, I pray all the time. Right. (laughs) Okay. How many hours have you prayed about this? I guarantee if you devoted an entire hour of prayer to the offense, it just might melt away and you'll find yourself just like Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. Is that all right? Can we receive that? The next question is, can love cover this? Can love cover this? If it can, let love cover it. Why drag it up? The next question should be, is this sin? Like scripturally, have they sinned against me? See, even at that point, even if you're not offended, God may still very much desire you to address it with your brother because it's sin and it needs to be rooted out and it needs to be forgiven. And they might not be aware of it. Is this sin, or am I just being sensitive? The approach must be made in humility and in meekness. There are three sides to every story. There's your side, there's their side, and there's the truth. None of us can be so proud as to think that we're always right. 
Our memory will play tricks on us. The enemy of our soul will do everything he can to help us remember every negative or perceived slight that has occurred. Love is the only way that this works. Or otherwise, we're going to be a miserable people. But if we can in honor prefer one another, if we can love one another with unfeigned, not faked love, but real love, see this, everything that we've talked about for the last 45 minutes is what John means when he says, if any man love not the brethren, the love of the Father is not in him. See, we, we like to think it's just a feeling. Oh, I know that I'm, I'm in God because I love the brethren. No. Everything we've talked about for the last 50 minutes is how you demonstrate love to the brethren. That's how you know that you've got the love of God working through you. When you're willing to humbly and honestly approach somebody that has done you wrong and go to them first, or you're willing to find a place of prayer and lay yourself on the altar until you reach a place where you can say like Jesus, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's the love that John is talking about. That's what it looks like for me to love my neighbor as myself. We've gone three weeks without going there, but now we're going to go there as we all stand together. The time has come for 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to read it from the Amplified because I'm a glutton for punishment. But I want you to do, do something with me. As we read this, when it says I, it's, it's you personalize it, I. But when we get to verse 4 and 5, 6 and 7, I want you in your mind to put your name in place of the word love. Okay? If I can speak in the tongues of men and even of angels, but have not love, that reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion, such as is inspired by God's love for us and in us, I am only a noisy gong, or a clanging symbol. And if I have prophetic powers, the gifting of interpreting the divine will and purpose, and I understand all the secret truths and mysteries and possess all knowledge, and if I have sufficient faith so that I can remove mountains but have not love or God's love in me, I am nothing, and I love this part, a useless nobody. Hmm. Even if I dole out all that I have to the poor in providing food, and if I surrender my body to be burned, or in order that I may glory, but have not love, God's love in me, I gain nothing. Do you realize what that says? Even if you follow Jesus Christ to be burned at the stake, but you don't love your brother, All right, you ready? Now start putting your own name in. Jared endures long and is patient and kind. Mm. Jared never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. He is not boastful or vainglorious. He does not display himself haughtily. I don't know if that bothers you like it bothers me. 
He is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. He is not rude or unmannerly and does not act unbecomingly. Jared does not insist on his own rights or his own way. He is not self-seeking. He is not touchy or fretful or resentful. He takes no account of the evil done to him. He pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Jared does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but he rejoices when right and truth prevail. Jared bears up under anything and everything that comes and is ever ready to believe the best of every person. He hopes, or his hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and he endures everything without weakening. Love never fails. Can you read that about yourself and it be true? I got choked up there because as I'm reading it, there are areas in my life that the Lord wants to identify inside of me as needing to grow in love. Love. 